Get ready, Avalanche territory. It's now time for the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans on your home for the most Avalanche content. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Well, hello again, everyone. We are back with the Mile High Hockey Podcast for another year. The award-winning Mile High Hockey Podcast. I am Mike Evans. I will be your host every week, and I will have outstanding guests throughout the course of the hockey season. And got to start things off. Our first episode has to be with a guy that I formed a brotherhood, a bond, during the Stanley Cup run for the Avs. The one and only Matt Smith joins me now. Good. How you doing, man? What's going on? You know, Mike, I'm doing wonderful. It is only right that we're back together for the inaugural, you know, 2022-2023 season opening podcast. That's what happens when you win championships, Mike. You, you, you form a bond, like you said, a brotherhood that, that just you'll, you'll take with you forever. And we have that now, as, the, as does the rest of the city of Denver with this Avalanche team. And what an amazing night it was last night as they raised the banner up to the roof at Ball Arena, and, and and I can't wait to get going with this season. I can't believe it's here, but now that it is, I'm ready. Well, before we talk about the season, yeah, we got to talk about the, the banner ceremony. I thought it was tremendous. I thought they they checked every box. I thought it was a perfect night. It was one of those things that each time they presented a new element, it was almost like the next one topped it, and from Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 coming in and leading the whole sing-along to Gabe Landeskog, who's not supposed to play until, what, Thanksgiving, Christmas at the earliest, skating out in full uniform, got the helmet on, he's got the wrist taped. Uh, I, I just I just thought it was, it was awesome. I thought it was well done. I've seen a lot of banner-raising ceremonies in the past. I, I got to tell you, I, I can't think of anything offhand that was better than that. No, it was such an amazing night. And, I mean, I was sitting there in my living room just to smile ear to ear, and it got me, Mike. It got me in the field. It hit every part of them. I had some tears going last night and just an awesome, you know, uh, a flooding back of memories and and just to be able to celebrate everything together. And Landeskog, like you said, coming out in full gear last night with the skates on, that's when I knew I, I didn't stand a chance last night as I said, oh, God, Cap's back out there. He's He's struggling and he's hurting and he hasn't skated in months, but he, he slapped on the gear because he wasn't going to miss being a part of that. And Even Darren Helm, who's been injured, was out there. It was just great to see the boys again. And, of course, Jack Johnson being in town, really just a – I thought, you know, obviously they lost Kadri and Kemper and Burakovsky, but that was a good example of, you know, that they are turning the page and that this is a new year and a new wave and a new era and – and as amazing as last night was and this summer has been and the ring ceremony and the parade, last night was the cherry on top of the Stanley Cup championship celebration. And as fans, we will always remember it. We will always celebrate it. But, you know, for those guys, that was the official turning of the page last night. And credit to the game day presentation crew. The, the building on television looked fantastic. The NHL on TNT crew being in town last night was excellent. The fans showed up hours before. They stayed hours after. It was just a, a, an awesome night, a great way to celebrate. And because they didn't have to, you know, because they didn't win at home last year, 
Gabriel Landeskog skating around the rink with the cup was the moment that the fans have really been, you know, waiting for. And we were, we were robbed of in game five last year, Mike, but no, last, last night was fantastic. What an awesome way to celebrate and kick off the year. And then they go out and after a slow start, which honestly, after that ceremony, I was like, how do you go play hockey? How do you, how do you get your head right? and go out and actually play a hockey game. And, you know, for the first 10 minutes, it was kind of a, a game that slogged along a little bit. But then those silly Blackhawks started taking penalties. And then that power play. Holy smokes. And and four power play goals, which at no point last year did the Avalanche ever have four power play goals in a, in a game. But really kind of picking up where they left off. In the playoffs, Matt, where they were humming along at like a 32.8% conversion rate on their power play, which is extraordinary. You know, if you're if you're a, a regular season power play that's averaging about 24%, you're happy. To be doing 30, almost 33% and to be doing it through the playoffs is astounding. And they picked right up where they left off. Yeah, they really did. I mean, we, we, we brought it up in the war room a little bit when we were kind of discussing it in our fan war room season, you know, keep the cup season preview, that, look, the trade deadline additions that were made in Manson and Cogliano and Lekkonen, those guys had to come here and learn on the fly, right? They didn't have time to build some chemistry with this group. And even going by the seat of their pants, it, it, it came out beautifully in the postseason last year. Well, if you give all of that a summer off and some of those guys time to skate together and train together over the summer, then you bring them back for camp. Guys get in town early because they're excited, they're motivated, and that's what happened here. And as I brought up in the war room, in preseason you could tell there was a jump in chemistry. And last night, like you're mentioning, that first power play unit was buzzing last night. And McKinnon, who looks so much better than he did at this time last year, was the driving force along with Kale McCarr, who was just brilliant. It's a hundred day plus off season, Mike, but I, I somehow think Kale's gotten better. I think he's gotten stronger and faster as he's matured more into his body. And and, and like you mentioned, yeah, they didn't they, they didn't miss a beat. And I think it's all confidence, right? You know, the confidence of having been there and done that and knowing what it takes and knowing that they can't afford to come out and start this season slow with Landeskog on the shelf right now and a tougher schedule, this is a team who needs to have it together much quicker than they did last year as they were 4-5-1 and one after 10 games last year. They need to get off to a better start this season. They certainly did that last night. And for anyone who thought that they would be missing any of these guys, well, we might end up seeing that at some point in the future. But last night, this looked like a team who was you know, playing the next series in the playoffs after the Stanley Cup final, you know, the one that comes after that, right? So... Uh, they were buzzing. It was awesome to see and just a great sign of what's to come. Mile High Hockey Podcast. Matt Smith is my guest. And Miko Rantanen had four assists. And remember during the playoffs, we were like, what's wrong with Miko? Why can't yeah. he score? But while he wasn't scoring, he was putting up assists. And he ended up having a really good stat line by the time the playoff run was over. But all of a sudden, uh, Miko ranted in playmaker, assist man, yeah. setup man. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a really underrated passer. That's for sure. One of the things that we saw pop up all last season was his ability to playmake. And 
you know, this is one of those guys that we expected to score near 40 goals, you know, a season at that right circle, specifically on the power play. But they used him last night in a much more facilitating role, and that's where the opportunities came up. And, you know, when you have so many options, it's easy to be unselfish. And I think they kind of got themselves into the old trap of getting a little too cute at times and not getting enough pucks on net, despite the fact that they were generating pressure. But Miko was was fantastic, and he's certainly going to play a huge role in this year's team and getting them back to where they ended last season. And one of the things that I just missed about watching this team was watching Miko work along the boards. I mean, Miko's one of the best in the league at puck retrievals along the end boards, and, and last night we saw it again. Four assists for him, heck of a way to open up the year. And, you know, one of the, one of the things we know about this team is because they did lose some of that depth, they need their horses to be horses. And last night, Branton and McCarr, McKinnon certainly lived up to that billing. And, and yeah, Miko on the power play with Lekkonen. Those those Finns seem to have a great connection dating all the way back to the postseason. Yeah, the, the stars are out on display for sure. And two goals for Lekkonen, two goals for Nachuskin. As they really settle in now as members, entrenched members of the of the Avs, what's the ceiling for these guys? What's the What's the roof for these guys? How... How far can they go? When you look at a, a goal, a stat line, a, a, a season, goals, assists, points for, for these two, how good can they be? Well, I think they can be really good. And, and I think when you're looking at Arturi Lekkanen, this is a guy who hasn't played 40 games yet in his Colorado Avalanche career and is nearly a point-per-game guy. Extremely impressive pickup for what they gave up for him. You know, as far as ceiling goes, I mean, does it get much higher than Stanley Cup champions? You know, does – if you're looking at Arturi Lekkonen right now, without Nazem Kadri, with Newhook trying to adjust to the second-line center position, you're looking at a guy who you probably expect at least 25, if not 30-plus goals from this right, season. Right. And you're going to need it, certainly, along with Comfer and Rodriguez and O'Connor and, and other contributions. But Lekkonen and Nachushkin, like you just mentioned, two guys that got big contracts in the offseason, boy, that, that, that was a nice that was a nice way to start the season because you, you always wonder after you pay a guy, does he get complacent, right? Does, especially in hockey, you're talking about long-term contracts here. So is he going to rest on his laurels? And as we've seen, you know, as we saw last night, that this is a team that is doing anything but that and, and the hunger and the competitive nature to actually go out and grind an 82 game season appears to be there. And like you mentioned earlier, Mike, it was so emotional. The fact that they even got up to play a hockey game in general, let alone look the way they did, was impressive. So, yeah, as far as ceiling goes for Lekkonen, I mean, 35 goals doesn't sound, you know, out of the picture for me whatsoever if, if he can stay healthy. And certainly they're going to need those guys because they're a, a part of this core moving forward. So we saw them come out last night. And they look good. They they destroyed a bad Chicago team that's in, in clear rebuild mode. By the way, before I get to where I was going to go, I just thought about this real fast, thinking about Chicago. Uh, watching Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane play last night, do you? Morons. Do you? Sorry, what did you say? Do you see, do you see one of those two in an avalanche sweater M- by the time the playoffs I, come around? I would have loved – to know what was running through Patrick Kane's mind during that whole, you know, trophy presentation, banner presentation and all of that. I mean, this is a guy who turned down an opportunity to be a part of that last year because he wasn't ready to leave. Yeah, I definitely do. I thought Jonathan Taves, who's, who's 
had some trouble himself the last few seasons staying healthy, and he had to take a year off from hockey dealing with some autoimmune issues, I believe. But he looked better than he has in a few seasons last night. And as a second-line center option at the trade deadline, that's a guy who is sick and tired of the crap and the bogus that's been going on in Chicago the last few years. And I know he wants to get with a competitive group. So if it's not Kane, then maybe it's Taves. But one of those two guys are my top options at the trade deadline. And, you know, last night watching Alex Newhook, certainly, you know, it's going to be a process here, and it's going to be one we're going to have to have some patience with. But – Again, I mean, moving forward towards the playoffs, is, is that a guy you're going to rely on to be in your top six? That's certainly going to be one of the biggest questions that we ask. So, yeah, I think there's a good chance that either one of those guys could end up in avalanche, and, and I'd welcome them with open arms. How could you not, right? So, so for me, I, I watched it, and I kept thinking to myself, those guys, what are they doing? Neither one of them has asked for a trade. I don't know if it's because they don't want to piss off the fan base and this, and the organization is saying, hey, look, we don't want to be the bad guys and, and, and say we got to get you out of here because the fans are going to get pissed at us and we don't need them more pissed at us than they already are, right? So we're going to need you to come and request a trade. Well, they're kind of in this standoff right now and nobody's blinked, but right now they all look like fools. Well, it's early. It's early, but I definitely think that moment will come where Chicago themselves will will realize, hey, uh, we're rebuilding. This isn't. These are assets that we can move, uh, Ray Bork style, from Boston to Colorado and and get something for and, and let them go on and try to win somewhere. I, if you had to choose between the two, I would go Taze. How about you? Uh, gosh, just because of the, the is, just so, because so, he plays so, center, just because yeah. of the center. No, 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 and I get it, and I get it. And I think personality-wise, he might fit in a little bit better, but I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that Patrick Kane and Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Miko Rantman on the first power play unit doesn't make me feel things I probably shouldn't feel from talking about sports. (laughs) So so I just have to say, like, you can't go wrong. I would be thrilled with either of them. And if Newhook develops, maybe Kane is the guy that you go after, right? right? Because Rodriguez did not have a good debut last night and has not had a good preseason, and I do have concerns there. This this team overall, as we embark on this season, and uh, Matt Smith joined me here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast, as, as you look at what we saw from them last night but now start to sit back and as the games start to, to, to move on and pile up, do you see this team just continuing from the momentum of winning the cup and getting off to a roaring start? Or or could you see them show some of the effects of such a short offseason and that, you know, maybe it's a, it's a team that kind of settles into the grind for a while before hitting their stride later in the season? It's a good question, and it was certainly one I was asking myself during the game last night. When they got up 4-1, to one, it was like, okay, opening night's over, we won. You know, that, that was the vibe you could feel coming off the ice, and then they started to get a little complacent and, and certainly weren't as aggressive in that third period as they were the back half of the first and the whole second period. So, you know, if they can – my thought – the thought that I ended up with was if you can find a way to keep these guys truly invested – Right. If you can keep the attention to detail and the focus on a night to night basis, the only thing that will stop them is injuries. Uh, quite frankly, the way I see it, 
if you can keep them focused. Now, I'm sure there will be nights where they lapse in focus and maybe there's load management because they need to give McKinnon a night off or a Makara a night off here or there. But, Mike, you, you don't want to go into the season so cocky because you just won the cup. But at the same time, find me a reason to think that they can't go on and continue this outside of injuries. I don't have one. Well, unless you, know, unless you – Unless that's part of a game plan. Like you said, we're doing this podcast right after the opening night game, and they're turning around to play Calgary tonight. And so immediately, do you start thinking about that? Do you start saying, okay, we're going to cap guys' minutes at a certain number? Uh, Will you build in uh, load management games, NBA style, where you'll you'll have four games in five nights or something like that or a back-to-back, and you'll say – Hey, we're thinking about the big picture. We're thinking about May and June. Nathan McKinnon, you get the night off. Uh, do, you, do you anticipate Jared Bednar going in that direction? Uh, from time to time, I, I certainly do, because it's, it, it's definitely more about the ultimate goal. But you still need to accumulate enough points to secure yourself some home ice advantage. And, yeah, okay, the Avs went 9-1 and one on the road to post. In the postseason last year, which is still just unbelievable. But you can't bank on that twice in a row. So you do need to accumulate some points. And you, need, and you do need to build up habits, right? Because you're going to rely on those habits and that grind come the postseason. But, yeah, I do expect some load management from time to time and built in within the, within the games. I think that was a very good question you asked. In fact, in the third period, I did notice the first 10 minutes or so, I don't think – I, I think he might have double shifted the third and fourth lines a couple of times to give that first line some uh, a few minutes off there. I really do. I, I remember thinking to myself, man, I haven't seen McKinnon in a minute, and I right. haven't seen that top line in a minute. And you can do that against Chicago. So it's all going to be about adapting and evolving as, as your program grows and as your team grows and as a coaching staff you grow, right? Because we all think that Jared Bednar has a great demeanor for – getting this team focused to repeat and at least make a good run at it, but he still hasn't done it yet. Right. So it's going to be a new process for him as well. And I do anticipate a little bit of that, but look, based upon what I've seen from this team, again, I'll say as long as you don't deal with major injuries, which at some point you will deal with a big injury, you know, it's the way hockey works, right? As long as you don't deal with any of those major, major injuries where you're talking about months at a time missed, to Rantanen or McKinnon or McCarr or maybe even a Taves, then I, then I think you'll be all right, you know, for all intents and purposes this season. But I, I do anticipate a bit of a different approach this year, and it'll be fascinating to see how Bednar chooses to apply it. Yeah, I, I look at the Avs, and I feel so, so confident about their ability to repeat, and th- this isn't homerism or anything fanboy-type stuff. At I just, all. I just Can look we at... just say that real quick? I, I, want, I want to clarify that, because I, we, we got a couple of comments during the war. It was like, oh, you guys are cocky homers. And no, I'm like, no. No, no. No, we're no, not. No, 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 no. And let's, let's, ex- let's, let's explain why. Uh, first right. of all, I, I look at a team that is, is young. Its core is young. Its, its core is dynamic. Uh, it's a team that's proven that they can win it all with average to below average goaltending. Uh, it, it's a league in which repeating isn't nearly as difficult as other sports are. If you just look over the last 10, 15 years, we've had four or five teams that have been able to go back to back. So the idea of them repeating, I also look at 
the Western Conference, a conference that they blitzed through last year on the way to the Cup Finals. Who in this conference can you point to and tell me, oh, well, this team, this team is at a point now where they're ready to go toe-to-toe with the Avalanche. I don't see it. I don't I don't see that team out there. Maybe there's some teams that have improved, but none to the point that I'm confident uh, that c- could go in a seven-game series with the Avalanche and beat this team in a seven-game series. So when you put it all together, uh, I, I just think that this team is really set up to be in a position to go back-to-back. And that's that's just looking at it smartly. It's looking at it analytically. It's looking at it uh, in a sober manner that has nothing to do with uh, waving pom-poms. At all. At all, really. And you just nailed it on the head. I mean, like I said, give me a reason they're not going to, right? You want to talk about goaltending. You know, in our war room, that was one of the, I think you and Stokely and Zach and even Dmax said goaltending. Well, we had to pick I mean, something. We had to pick something. Well, you had to pick it, something, It wasn't right? done with, a, like, a huge amount of, uh-oh, watch out type thing. It was like, well, we got to pick something. I guess we have to pick something. We'll go with the goaltending. Right, for sure. And I think your your point was really valid is that for this team, the way they're built, they can win with average goaltending. Georgiev stopped 15 of 17 shots last night. I know it's against Chicago and there will be harder games, but that's, you know, for him, I was thinking to myself, boy, if you're Alexander Georgiev, you must be sitting there between the pipes wondering how you got so lucky. Right. I mean, life as an NHL NHL goaltender doesn't get better than playing behind that defensive core. So, no, I mean, it's not being a homer. It's looking at the rest of the league. Look, do I think Edmonton will be hungrier this year? Yes, I do. I don't think they got drastically better. They didn't make any splash roster moves that are really going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, expand their chances. Calgary got rid of Goudreau and Kachuk and replaced, you know, replaced them with Huberto and Kadri. Look, Kadri, as we talked about last year, excellent year, excellent postseason run. But you're also talking about a guy who more than doubled his career point total. He's going to have to do that in an entirely new environment, playing with a different group of teammates who are far less talented than the avalanche. You look at St. Louis, St. Louis didn't do anything to get better over the off season. In fact, they were one of the more disappointing teams in the off season. Minnesota is cap crunched by the buyouts that they gave uh, Parise and Suter a couple of years ago. Those financial chickens have come home to roost. And, and, I mean, look, look up and down the West LA, they added Fiala, but they're still so young. They don't scare me. Vegas? Nobody in the West Vegas? scares me. Vegas? Vegas is the one team that I, I'd be – I have my radar I love on. the Bruce Cassidy hire, by the way. I, I think that was uh, – I don't know what the what the heck the Bruins were thinking, but uh, Vegas, they scooped him up, and I, I think they got a, a real difference maker there. Yeah, they did. Apparently, Cassidy didn't get along with the veterans on Boston's team, and that's apparently one of the bigger reasons why Krejci left and now why he's back is because Cassidy's not there anymore is what, I was, was, is what I've heard. But Vegas doesn't have a goaltender. Robin Leonard is going to miss the entire season, and they're going with Logan Thompson. So, you know, I mean, if Phil Kessel can put down the hot dog for five minutes, <laughs> you know, enough to, enough to score some goals for that team, Maybe they'll do something. I look. I'm. I Mark Stone is back. I certainly have my full attention on Vegas, and they looked pretty good the other night. But uh, I don't think that Colorado's got that Vegas bugaboo yeah, anymore. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they've got the second round bug. I don't think this team has any bugaboo. 
well, quite honestly. And that's why that's why we, we and I'll repeat the point I made during the war room, but because it was such an excellent point, I need to uh, repeat it. Oh, again. you do, please. Here do. Yes. is that th- this notion well, that Mike, one of your many excellent, of points. course, one of many, but this notion that uh, maybe the Avalanche will not be as hungry this year, and you know what? That's entirely possible. They were on such a mission last year. It's it's hard to imagine that they can replicate that, but. What else did they not have last year? They were hungry last year, but here's what they didn't have last year. The knowledge, the know-how right. of how to win. Right. Heck, they were they went into these playoffs last year facing the second-round curse. And even when it was done, they admitted the second-round thing was a thing. And now they know what it takes. They know what winning a cup is all about. And so for me, whatever they have lost – in hunger, they have more than made up in know-how and knowledge of how to win. And that is a very, very powerful thing in sports. I don't think it's talked about enough, the know-how of how to win. There are a lot of talented teams out there in all sports who fritter away that talent because they just don't know how to win. Step forward, Toronto Maple Leafs. So Uh, Florida Pan- Florida Panthers, things like that. So what the Avalanche have done now is they've they've crossed that threshold. They are now a team that knows how to win, and that is a very very powerful force to go along with everything else we like about this team. Yeah, I mean you, there there is no teacher in life like experience, Mike. Words don't teach; experiences do. And no matter how much you want to convey something to somebody until they've actually been there and been through the fire themselves. It, it doesn't really fully sink in. And so to have that knowledge of experience, like that, that wealth of experience, like we're talking about and the knowledge of how to get it done and what it takes to play winning hockey and to build good habits and to have momentum heading into the postseason, right? They didn't even have that last year, but they figured it out along the way. I, I I'm so encouraged. You know, when I look at biggest questions about this team, it's, how quick my big, I wrote down a list of biggest questions for this season. Number one was how quickly can you regain your competitiveness? Well, game one, that, that, that's the answer. That team looked mighty competitive last night. Number two, can you maintain your attention to detail and your focus for an 82 game season? We won't know that until the end, but a good foot to start the year on. Uh, health. Can you stay healthy, especially for your horses, right? Can you keep your top players? in the lineup we won't know that until the season's over but as far as question marks throughout the lineup go you know outside of new hook and comfer and o'connor and rodriguez and you know even that fourth line to an extent with ben myers how much production are you going to get out of those guys you know as, as far as actual questions for this team you're expecting a group of young players all to set career highs once again you really are. I mean, Rodriguez last year in Pittsburgh, career high. Comfort, career high last year. Newhook, career high last year. O'Connor, career high last year. You know, this is, this is a group where you will rely on some of these young guys, but at the same time, you do have your top-end players who were in the fire last year. They can hopefully pick up some of that slack. Meanwhile, kind of imparting some of those lessons and getting this whole group up to speed. So, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, uh, this group looked mighty good and better than I anticipated, quite frankly. All right, last one is uh, we're sitting here doing this. We're we're looking forward to the Avs in Calgary. In what ways will they miss Kadri? How much? 
I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. I think they'll miss him when people go out of the lineup because as Rantanen and Landeskog and McKinnon and Makar and Nachushkin and all these different guys last year spent time on the shelf, Kadri was the one constant that really kept producing no matter what. So I imagine as we start to see some of these ups and downs in the season, you might miss that second-line center who can really contribute not only scoring but facilitating. Um, yeah, you'll miss Kadri as, as a part of this team who really – um, stepped up in the playoffs and showed some grit and some toughness, certainly. But like you said, I think the experience factor and the learning factor comes in there. Mike, after the way Kadri left the group chat and said, I don't do deals and all that, I have to be honest with you, that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. And I know it rubbed the guys the wrong way. I mean, I know there'll be a bond and a brotherhood, but I think Nas got a little too big for his britches. Um, and I know he was really important, but at the same time, I just don't understand why that. So you think you should? You, so think he, you think he should have taken a hometown discount? Yes. Really? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. But the problem is, but the, here's the problem: is that it would have had to be for a lot less money for less years. Yeah. So that that's the thing. And, and and if he wanted to win, I think it would have been a great thing for him to come back. But again, if he comes back and doesn't have an 87 point season. He's not signing a you know thirty you right, know forty million right, dollar contract. Right. So I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. No ill will towards Nas. Thank you. He will be a hero forever, and I'm a huge fan of his. But I can't lie. Like it didn't rub me the wrong way. So for me, where I would have said maybe a few months ago, they're going to miss him significantly, and I think it is a big hole to fill, and they'll miss some of that production, no doubt about it. But I think they have ways of getting around it this year, and with McKinnon signing his new contract. He knows he has to produce more. And my goodness, Mike, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who looked like he was ready to play in the cup final tomorrow. McKinnon looks, uh, this might be the best I've ever seen him to start the season. He was on fire. He generated scoring chance after scoring chance after scoring chance last night. So for me, yeah, you know, I think the, the whole, the whole bit about Kadri getting under other teams skin I think that that might be overblown a little bit, to be honest with you, because that has worked to his detriment in the past. And last year he had to skate away from a lot of those situations. So, yeah, I I understand that'll be out there and maybe they'll find some of that. But the way Curtis McDermott was flying around and running guys last night, I think they should be able to piecemeal that factor together. Yeah, I'm not going to badmouth Nazem Kadri on the way out. And the fact that if if he if he was looking for the big payday again, I'm not going to begrudge him, I think. I think for a lot of athletes, and you, you got to try to put yourself in their shoes if if you can, and it's difficult mm-hmm. when you talk about the uh, millions and millions of dollars and everything. But uh, you, you have you have won the cup, you you got your name on the cup, and you only get in his case one more chance to get a really life altering, generation altering type deal. And I, I don't I don't begrudge a guy. At all. Maxing out like that, it's real easy for, I think, fans to say, well, I would take less right. uh, to stay with a winner. Would you? Would you really? Would you really? Right. When well, those, you got to maximize when the, your When those numbers potential. start getting thrown at you like that, would you really? I, I, uh, I'm going to call I'm gonna call BS on that. Agreed. And, and as a player, you have to maximize your earning potential. So I don't blame him at all. I mean, like, I, like we just said, if, if not now, it probably wouldn't have ever happened for Nas. So I get it, and, and I got no problems with it. I found it very interesting the way that he so abruptly left as if he took it really personally that they picked other guys over him. Wow. Um, Uh, That now, in that regard, 
dude, read the room. You know, Russell Wilson's I'm, even saying read the room because uh, we, you and it. I were doing this podcast in February predicting right. that they would have to make a decision and that guys like he and Burakovsky would be gone. And and we were right about that because ultimately you were going to have to – well, it really came down to you're going to choose Nachuskin or, or Kadri or I guess maybe even uh, Gerard or, or Kadri and uh, – you got you got to think about the younger guys, and you got to think about contracts that are going to age better. And Naz Kadri, you could do a, a deal with Kadri that I think if if you kept Kadri, you could do so with the understanding that let's say a six year deal that over the first half of that deal it would probably be a good deal, but over the second half it could age real poorly. And for a team that literally is set up here to go on a a, a, a seven-year run here, five- to seven-year run, you can't be lugging around contracts no. that are going to be dead weight. Agreed. Uh, absolutely. You couldn't have said it any better. And I, I don't even think they would have given him six years. I think they might have given him three years max, maybe even a one-year deal at like $7 million. Well, then he, so had, to I don't, he had to leave right, then. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and so I, I think you, at the end of the day, came down to a situation where you love Gerard too much, which God bless him. I mean – he was out of position on one of the goals in their first game against Chicago, and uh, I, 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 I have serious questions about that second power play line with three defensemen. I think you're asking – I think that what's interesting about that line, just to go off on a brief little tangent here, what's interesting about playing Gerard and Byram and Taves together on the second power play is that before you kind of had offensive defensemen that were luxuries, right? They were adding to what you had offensively. Now you're relying on those guys for production and playmaking and decision-making. And I I can't lie, like it doesn't make me a little bit nervous that that's going to end up biting you in a shorthanded situation a a, a time or two. I mean, we saw it last night where they kind of got out of position and you're asking Byram and Gerard to play so far up and be primary puck handlers on that second power play unit. But again, you chose to have the best top six defensively in the entire league, and I can't begrudge them for that either, right? And Gerard is also a trade chip if you want to use him at the deadline. So without keeping Nas and choosing Nachushkin and Lekkonen, you have way more flexibility. You're choosing younger players with more upside, and you also have flexibility at the deadline. You still do retain that by not limiting yourself with a contract with yet another big contract like that. So for me, uh, again, I, I think they'll miss Nas, but at the very same time, like you said, tough decisions have to be made. If they were only going to offer him a year, maybe even three years, for him that just doesn't make sense. You want to set up your long-term future. So, yeah, they'll miss him. I am curious to see how testy things get because, like I said, I, I don't think that he's very happy with them. I have to be honest with you. Based upon the interview I saw with the, with the TNT crew from the preseason and some of these things I've heard, I don't think he's happy. So I, I think he's going to come out for blood tonight, be honest with you. Well, that'll be fun to watch. Well, we are underway. It is going to be a, a long but fun season to talk about uh, the Avalanche and their bid to repeat, which got off to a very strong start and – Leaves a lot of us just incredibly optimistic about what this season could bring, and we'll be talking about it all throughout the course of the year here on the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Matt, thank you very much. Always. I can't wait to do it more, Mike. we got to run it back. All right. There he is, Matt Smith. I'm Mike Evans. We'll see you again next week on the Mile High Hockey Podcast.